If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. If Jesus has made one thing clear in the last few Sundays, it's that this is not a moment for the idle rich. It's often said of Luke that his is the most social of the Gospels, and we've been getting this in spades recently. Just a bit of it. When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And again, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. And again, you cannot serve God and wealth. Jesus says these things surrounded by the Pharisees, who, Luke tells us, were great lovers of money. Some of them ridicule Jesus, but you can imagine there are a few at the back who are starting to shed their garments in purple and fine linen. Maybe some of the disciples, too, for Jesus is also saying this to the Twelve, and he's saying it to us. For two millennia, faithful Christians have gone to extraordinary interpretive lengths to try to explain away these few lines. But if we're honest, the cost of Christian discipleship in Luke's gospel could not be more clear, and it couldn't be more great. Are we really asked to give up everything, to sell our homes and everything we own, to wander the country praying and preaching and asking for our next meal? Many Christians throughout the ages have believed this, to be sure. The Desert Fathers, the ancient Celtic and Saxon monks who Christianized the British Isles, St. Francis, who will celebrate this coming week, and all the medieval mystics. Even today, there are many Christians in religious life and in lay community who aspire to these goals of Christian discipleship, of poverty, of obedience, of holding all things in common. Clear enough, then, when's the church bizarre? But for each parable like that in today's gospel, we have another about some righteous king or gracious master or some rich man or woman who turns their wealth to the good of the kingdom and to the benefit of their fellow human beings. Indeed, history teaches us that the earliest Christian communities depended on these people who turned their homes into churches and welcomed believers to worship in secret. So which is it? In today's parable, our rich man is not condemned for purple garments, maybe not even for feasting sumptuously. His downfall is much simpler, much more human. A man named Lazarus lies at the gate of his house every day, covered in sores, hungering for scraps, and he says nothing. Just a few passages earlier, Jesus has given us another parable. There's a banquet but the great and the good are too busy or too distracted to come. And so the host commands his servants, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the destitute, the forgotten, the lame. These are the people at Jesus's table, the poor, the destitute, the forgotten, and those at the very fringes of society. But it's not just them, it's the tax collectors as well. The people who spend their days building up our rich man's wealth, passing it up at every level of custom, an elaborate system that goes to the highest bidders, eking out profit and sending it all the way back to Rome. Victims of a system and agents of it, all at the same table with Christ. 
linked by a capacity and a willingness to listen, to hear the good news. So what are we to do with this paradox? What are we to do with our money? In St. Paul's epistle to Timothy, the apostle reminds us that we brought nothing into this world and surely we can take nothing out. If these sound familiar, it's because these are the words that ring out in our own burial service, sung by the priest or by the choir as the body proceeds through the nave. Paul exhorts us to reorient our lives from those fleeting things of this world and to set our sights on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So, the Christian vocation then is to do good and to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of the life that's really life. In today, our parable, the rich man is not condemned for purple garments, maybe not even for feasting sumptuously every day. His downfall is much simpler. It's a kind of idleness, a kind of complacency, hard-heartedness to the suffering, not just distant and far away in some far-flung country, but at his own very door. How often have we been this person? I don't have any cash on me. I'm sorry. Or even worse, how often have we been asked for help by another soul in need and been too busy or too anxious or too embarrassed to stop or to even look them in the eye? God asks us to be extravagant in our giving, not just of wealth, but of time, but of our humanity. At my chapel in graduate school, we had our own Lazarus. He sat on the paving stones outside of the front door, even in the depths of winter, even when the warming stations were open to him. One brisk Sunday morning as I was showing up early to get ready to run rehearsal for mass, he was so white that I was sure he'd died. So I had to call the ambulance service for him as I went in. He was not always an easy person to talk to or to love. He cursed like a sailor and didn't make much of our charity. But then again, why should he have? He was down and out in one of the most picturesque cities in the world, surrounded by tourists and undergraduates in gowns. And seemingly, no one noticed that he was there. It was not always easy to know what to do for our Christian brother. One night, I gave him a 10-pound note. But the next day, I was told by our chaplain that he'd OD'd. So mostly, our ritual became some toast and jam and a cup of tea, splash of milk, four sugars. Give us our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. It might have been something, but it could never have been enough. It was and is a city of enormous wealth and even greater need. In our parable today, the rich man is not literally bodily in the inferno. As Martin Luther observes, surely his actual body is buried in the ground. These are the fires of conscience, of realization. And even still, the same idleness. Lazarus, help me. Abraham, send Lazarus out to warn my brothers so that they might know and not also come into this place. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither they will be convinced of someone rising from the dead. 
So dear friends in Christ, let us be convinced. For we have Moses, and we have the prophets, and the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, who in conquering death has given us the victory. So let us never forget to do as we are bidden, on the train, or on the street corner, or on our own front stoop, to seek out suffering, to look people in the eye, to take them by the hand, and to invite them to the banquet. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.